Thank you, Kwan. Thank you, Mary. You have your Bibles. Would you turn with me to the book of Exodus? Exodus chapter 17. And Exodus is a story of the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt and were going toward the promised land. In the middle of the story is about where God took them to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and there he gave them the Ten Commandments. But this generation had to dial for another generation to come in. Um, They couldn't get Egypt out of their minds. They had left Egypt, but Egypt was still in their heads. And there are some things that are hard to get out of your head. And they're like a voice that keeps selling you and pulling you back to that kind of attitude that doesn't trust God. And so we're going to talk about trusting God today, and that's an important thing. That's not just something to add. That is an essential. So at Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, would you stand as I read for us uh, this just one chapter, and then we'll go through what happened at a place called Repidim. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Zin, and sometimes that's pronounced sin, but it's real, it's like a Z sound, Zen, after their journeys. Now you're on a journey and I'm on a journey. And we're all on a journey. And the children of Israel were on a journey. And they were being, according to the commandment of the Lord, that is the Lord gave a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by during the day. And so he gave them direction. And they're going in the direction he wants them to go. And there was no water for the people. They came to Repidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, that's a dry place. And it's out there in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of the desert. And Repidim was a place that was supposed to be a place of water, but it turned out to be a place of dryness. And two things happened that were very significant there. So we will look at those. And, and, on, and you may be seated Go ahead and be seated. Uh, one of my f- uh, favorite preachers is D- David Jeremiah. And Susan and I uh, go to Gatlinburg in the fall to listen to him preach. And he's kind of the main speaker. But he tells about, he lives in, his church is in San Diego, uh, right on the border of Mexico. And um, there was a, and there are border guards in his church and uh, there was this boy that would come across the border and he'd ride across the border on the day and then he'd come back that afternoon and ride across on his bicycle. And they knew that he was smuggling something, but they didn't know what he was smuggling. And they took his bicycle apart and tried to see if he was smuggling some drugs in his bicycle and they couldn't find anything there. And so they uh, let him go and he kept coming across. Years later, one of the border guards asked him, what it was that they were smuggling, what he was smuggling. We know he's smuggling something, but what was it? And he said, bicycles. Every day he'd bring those bicycles. And here's, here's the point David Jeremiah makes is we can get so used to what the obvious is that we miss the essential. And our lives can get so routine that we kind of miss the essential thing that matters the most. And it gets lost, the essential gets lost in the obvious. Now, God is leading them to get where he wants them to go more than they want to go where he wants them to get. Chew on that for a little while, okay? 
<laughs> God is eager to get them to Sinai, but they're just struggling with that. And out of there, in their head is this Egypt thing, and you can't trust anybody, and you certainly can't trust those who are ahead of you. So they're having a hard time trusting God. And God's doing some things for them that only God could do, and he's meeting their needs, and yet they're kind of still griping and complaining and blaming. So they come out of Egypt singing because God has led them through the Red Sea and they sang, but it wasn't long before they were complaining and blaming and whatever else you can put in that. They had a dirty, rotten attitude. Okay? Now, look at the person next to you. Do they look like they've got a dirty, rotten attitude today? Okay. One of the things that can happen is that God can change our dirty, rotten attitude. And he really can. But he has to work on us sometimes because there's some things in our past that keep screaming in our head. And we have a hard time letting them go. Now, I want you to uh, get into God's word. But more important, I want God's word to get into you. And that's what we're about today. So look back at this text and let's see what happens. As, as sand and sand and sand and sand and sand. The wilderness of Zen was just that kind of, if you go to that place today, it's a barren kind of place. You cannot, you cannot find any water anywhere. And the people complained about the food. And so in chapter 16 and 17, God gave them manna. And manna was this that heavenly food that came down from above. That's what it was like. It was like a... Uh, little Debbie with honey on it. Amen. Is that a good kind of definition? And so they would collect that honey. And they would look at it and they'd say manna. Now manna is a word that means what is it? So have you ever sat down at the supper table or whatever and you looked at what was on the table and you said manna? You know, what is it? Because oftentimes it didn't look like little Debbie with honey on it. But God gave him manna, and they got tired of manna, and so they had manna boiled, manna baked, manna fried, manna put in gumbo, whatever you want to put. They had manna, 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 manna. And so they said, we want something else. So God sent them quail. And so they were all right for a while until they started losing or missing being thirsty, and being out there is a bad place to be thirsty. It is just dry. And so they came to a place called Repidim. And Repidim was supposed to be, the word Repidim means to rest. And so they came to this place of rest. It was supposed to be a watering hole. There are some places out there in that desert, every now and then it catches water when the seasonal rains come and will hold it for a while. But after a while it dries up. And here they got there, they expected this. Oh, man. And they got this. And it was dry. So if you have your Bible, see how they handle it. They handle it in a Baptist way. Amen. They complained and griped. When in trouble, when in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. Amen. And that's what they were doing. So they came. Look at verse 2. It said the people strove or they were having quarreled with Moses. And they said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said... Why are you striving with me? 
But here's the idea. Our struggles with God is often taken out on our brothers and sisters. And so their struggle is really with God. Do we really trust him? Do we trust him when coals move somewhere else? Do we trust him when the tornado comes through? Do we trust him when we have to say goodbye to people who mean to us so much? Do we trust him when divorce court comes? Do we trust him? Even in the middle of repudium. So they came and they complained to Moses and said, Moses took it to the Lord and, and said, Lord, what's here for me to do? What do you want me to do? And Lord gave him something to do. And that's when you pray. You just get on your knees and you pray and say, oh, Lord, it, if you don't come through, it is, you're going to leave me here in this dry place. And they've taken their complaining to another level. They're about to stone him. And so Moses said, Lord, they're your people. I'm gone. I quit. I've had enough of this. And I'm gone. And it's easy to quit. It's easy to quit. But it's harder to stay in there. And so God gave him what to do. Then the Lord said uh, to Moses, let me see, I'll miss it. Moses cried unto the Lord, what shall I do unto this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, go before the people. Now, don't run away. You go before the people. And take with you the deacons. Amen. Take the deacons and put the deacons in front of you so that if they stone somebody, they get to the deacons first. And here, single amen to that. (laughs) Take the elders with you. Now, one of the favorite places that I've ever been, a memory that I have is Bastogne. Bastogne is in France. It's a little dairy village. And it's, it's on the uh, kind of highway, a crossroads, going to Antwerp, which is the, um, is, is the place on the, on the ocean there, navigation point. And in 1944, the Germans pushed back as the Americans came forward. It's a place called the Battle of the Bulge. And Bastogne was right in the middle of that. And there was this, there was this uh, 101st commander named General McAffrey. And he was in charge of the troops. And, and Bastogne was surrounded by the Germans. And Patton told him to hold it and don't let it go. And we'll get there as soon as we can. And it was a dark, dark place. The temperature was a hundred was in below 20 degrees and they told him to hold it and so the Germans sent a surrender group to General McAffrey and and they held up their flag and they came there and they got General McAffrey and they said if you surrender now we'll take you in as prisoners if you don't surrender we're going to bombard you with so much artillery that this place will be just a sinking hole so as you're going to surrender, he was surrounded by German. And this is what General McCaffrey said, nuts. And the German says, what does that mean? We don't have a word for that. And he said, he's not going to surrender. 
2,500 Americans lost their lives until Patton was able to break through and help them out. Places that should be places of surrender. Somehow God's hand was in there. And I thank God for our nation, for those who sacrificed their lives. But behind this was an unseen hand taking our nation through a dry place and giving us the freedom that so many people paid for us to be free. Now back to Moses. Moses' uh, solution to his problem was to strike the rock. Take his, take his um, rod and strike the rock. And I'm sure Moses said, is that all you got, God? I'm sure you got something else. There's a better solution than this. But God said, I want you to strike the rock. So Moses gathered all the people and the elders behind him. And I mean, he's standing out there by himself. If this doesn't work, I'm in trouble here. And I picture that as saying, oh, man, this doesn't look like the reasonable thing to do. But he struck the rock. Word there means and water came gushing out. It's not like a, a garden hose, but it's like a faucet that just overflowing, like a hydrant that comes out and water comes coming out. Now, I remember a lady who had a funeral for her one time. It said she would lock the door at 12 o'clock every day and take a nap. And when she'd take a nap, she had four kids, and they would just be outside and play. And this is what they drank out of, a green garden hose. That's what they did. Uh, how many of you have ever drunk out of a green garden? Would you raise your hand? You know what that does? That gives you a, a, a terrible disposition drinking out of a green garden hose. Well, this wasn't a green garden hose. It flowed and flowed and flowed. And so Moses named the place Strife. Why are you testing God? He's here. And he comes up with solutions that you would never, ever know. But that's who God is. Now, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 8. So all of a sudden, what was dry became a place of water. And there was water there. Verse 8. And you got to get this. Then came Amalek. When they saw it was a watering place, all of a sudden the Amalekites showed up. And the Amalekites have a way of showing up at different places. Uh, Amalek was a descendant of Esau. And they were nomad uh, bandits. And they would kill and destroy, and that was what they did. They preyed off other people. The Amalekites, uh, they had this new kind of uh, army kind of deal. They had camels, amen? I don't know if you've ever ridden a camel, but I hope I never ride a camel again the rest of my life. Susan and I rode a camel in Jericho, and we don't ever want to ride another camel again the rest of our life. But camels could get up to 35 miles an hour. And so they were, here was these Israelites, and they, they were way over their head and, and facing the Amalekites. Now, Amalekites are those people that are still around, by the way. 
They uh, live in the internet. And uh, they're watching. Uh, we had a better business bureau lady came and talked to us today in our senior adult group at um, Fairhope uh, First Baptist Church. And she was talking about all these romance websites and how it really preys on especially women and how this woman lost $185,000 to a person that she never saw on the other end of that website. Amalekites are here. They're in New Orleans and they're in Memphis and they're in Selma, Alabama. People that will prey upon us and prey upon the innocent and steal what they have, they'll break into your homes and steal what you have. The Amalekites, they're there, they're here. And you and I have to face a world full of Amalekites. Now we spray for them here in the church, but they keep showing up. We kick them out and they keep coming back in. And here's what I worried about. There's a next generation we gotta send out into this world that is full of Amalekites. And we gotta get them ready to be able to face the Amalekites. So the Amalekites came at Rephidim and verse nine, Moses called a meeting with Joshua. It's kind of strategy session. Moses is starting to build momentum as a leader. And so he says, it looks like the Amalekites probed him, had this initial probe, and the police force that was there at Israel beat him back. But they said, we're coming back tomorrow, and we're coming back with a larger force. So Moses, in a strategy session with Joshua, said, what are we going to do? And Moses said, we're going to attack them. And Joshua said, you sure we want to attack those? After all, we have this just small army, and those guys are armed to the teeth, and they got all these camels, and... It's going to look bad for us. Now I want you to, to attack them. So Joshua said, okay, you're the man. Now Moses said this, and God had probably given him this kind of thing. I'm going to take uh, Aaron and her, and we're going to go to the top of the mountain. And while you're battling down there below, we're going to be up there praying. And so Moses and Joshua said, okay. So he attacked the Amalekites. And he, first of all, that was this kind of, he pushed them back, it looked like. But then they came back because the Amalekites don't just stay away. They keep coming back. And on top of that hill, that was Moses. And he had his rod and he was holding up his hand. But after a while, it's a tiresome thing when you're praying for people. When you're praying for those who are fighting the Amalekites. It's a lot of work. And it's a lot of patience. And your arms get tired. And you need somebody to come along beside you. And help you to pray for those that are fighting the Amalekites. Aaron was his older brother. Uh, her was his uh, brother-in-law. He had married Miriam. 
By the way, he's old white hair. That's what they say. Her, that's what it means, white hair. And so these three old men were up at the top of the mountain. And when Moses' arms got tired and you get so worn out praying for people that you're really praying for. And so these two old men lifted up his arms. They sat him down on a stone. And Moses held up his arm. And the Israelite army, which was outnumbered, outmanned, won a victory. That's an amazing thing. Now, let me ask you something. Who are you praying for? Who are facing the Amalekite? Who do you know that's praying for somebody that needs our prayers? Who do you know that says they're praying? They need for you and me to come along beside them and help them to keep their arms up. Keep praying. Don't quit praying. Easy to quit. Easy to get tired of praying. But you need somebody to come along beside you and say, listen, I want you to know, I know you're going through that tough time, but I want you to know that I'm praying for you. So, the Israelites won a victory. And I'm sure as they walked away from the battlefield, they looked at those three old men at the top of the mountain and they gave them an amen. Amen. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for keeping us on your prayer list. The battle was hard, but we won a victory. And maybe there's some place in your life, some place in your family, some place in this nation that you need to pray for our nation and pray for somebody. And you also need somebody to come along beside you and help you to hold those arms up in prayer. And if God doesn't come through, you don't want the Mamlekites to win. Now, they, he built a pole there, and he called it Jehovah uh, Nisian. And there's a pole there, places where God brings victory. And sometimes that I like to do is go to places that God has brought a victory and pray in that place or remember that place. I was uh, in Baltimore. So now I'm in Baltimore at the Southern Baptist Convention there. And there's, um, there's a uh, fort there, Fort McHenry. And Fort McHenry, they raised, uh, the British were coming, and the British uh, had a whole fleet gathered outside Fort McHenry. And they used that as a battle site. If they could push down Fort McHenry, if they could take Fort McHenry, then they could go into Baltimore, which was kind of the third largest city in 1814. And so all night long, they rocketed that Fort McHenry and they rocketed there were about a thousand people in that little fort and they watched that flag and they watched that flag and had 13 stars and 13 stripes and they bombed it all night being under a rocket attack is one of the horrible things you can think about I can still think, see those rockets hear those rockets going boom boom but they held their place and there's a guy named Francis Scott Key, watched it all, and he was so inspired by that that he wrote the Star Spangled Banner. Places where God's hand was and people who sacrificed their life.
Now, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Samuel? 2 Samuel. I'm going to show you a person maybe you're not uh, familiar with. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And this is a person that maybe you've never heard of, but he's there kind of hidden in those pages where David was mentioning his men who stood beside him in, in tough places. And so I want to introduce to him, if you haven't met him or not, in verse 9 of chapter 23, his name is Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aohite. Amen? <laughs> now listen, I say that because I don't want you to get to heaven and run into Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aohite, and he said, did you read about my name in 2 Samuel? And you say, no, I'm sorry, I didn't read about it. Well, now you cannot say that, okay? Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aohite. And everybody else had backed away from David. All the Israelites had kind of backed down. That's a word. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aohite. And one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered for battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. They're the only, everybody left David out there. He's, and that's a lonely place when you're the only one out there and you're facing the Philistine. But he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. There's his hand just kind of clung to the sword. They had to pry his fingers off the sword. And David and Eleazar, son of Dodo, uh, won the battle that day. I think it's very interesting that and his hand adhered to the sword. And then would you, if you have your Bibles, would you underline this? a beautiful verse. And the Lord won a great victory. Now, if it was us today, we would put a statue. And we have to be careful about where you put statues in Selma. <laughs> We'd put a statue to Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Elhite. But here's where David brought, but the Lord won a victory. Behind their stand and behind these two who faced the enemy was the Lord who won a great victory. Now we have a great nation for two reasons. One is this, because we have had people like Ned Driggers who have sacrificed their life for us to have our freedom but also because we have God's blessings on us as a nation. Would you agree with that? Um, there was a guy who graduated in engineering from Auburn, and, uh, civil engineering, and they put him on his first job. He was to paint the yellow lines down the highway. So the first job he did was 16 miles. He damn painted that. And then he did eight miles, and then he did four miles. And they said, why are you doing, I mean, why is it getting so shorter? And he said this, I'm getting further and further away from my bucket. <laughs> are you there with me? I think we have a nation that's getting further and further away from our bucket and getting into another source and losing the essential. But it's up to us as Christians and church members to get closer, closer, closer to our bucket. 
Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Dear Father, I thank you for our time together. Teach us about yourself. Change our hearts. Instead of griping and complaining, which anybody can do, help us to trust you and to find you in our reprodim and to see you bring water from a rock, our victory in a battle with the Amalekites. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now would you stand as Jeff comes to lead us.